And the third message is taken from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 to verse 4, and it is entitled, Don't Forget to Grow. Don't Forget to Grow. We thank God that we forget things. Perhaps in heaven, I do not know what it's going to be like, perhaps in heaven, when we arrive in the new heaven and new earth, we will never forget anything. We will always remember. We know that our great God Almighty, He doesn't forget anything. And so when the Bible verses that say, as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our sins, and He will remember them no more. It doesn't mean that God has forgotten he doesn't lose or gain knowledge. He is omniscient. He knows all things, all at the same time. He's not bound by time. He is not like us, where we do not know what happened tomorrow until tomorrow comes. God is not like that, even though there is a heresy that is floating around, that God's omniscient is bound by time. God doesn't know what will happen tomorrow until tomorrow comes. And then when tomorrow comes, then God will know what happens tomorrow all of it perfectly. Now, that is a very dangerous doctrine that will undermine the sovereignty of God. And so God doesn't forget anything when He says that I will remember your sins no more. I will forgive and forget, in other words. What it means is God will not hold it against us. It doesn't mean that it has been erased from our memory or from His memory. But in our case, it is really forget. We really do not remember those experiences and images and knowledge that we once upon a time had in the past. They are gone for good. They will no longer come back. Now that is forgetfulness. And it is a good thing because we don't want to remember everything. Because we live a life of sin. We live a life where we make a lot of mistakes, where we hurt people. And if we do not forget anything at all, then all these pain and hurts and harsh words that have been spoken by us and harsh words spoken by others against us will never be forgotten. And whenever you see these people who have hurt you or when you hurt these people that you have spoken a word out of turn or done some terrible thing to, imagine you remember them the moment you see their faces or you don't even have to see their faces in the literal sense of the word, your life, your memory will continue to haunt you and you will, find, you will find it so hard to go to sleep. And so in a way, it is a good thing to forget as we serve and witness for the Lord living in this sin-filled world and witness for the Lord in this mortal flesh where we continue to make mistakes and also fall into sin. But the problem with forgetfulness is we forget not only the bad but also the good. And that is the problem when we think of growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We forget that we need to do something in order for our spiritual growth to continue to grow and not be neglected. We think that the moment I become a Christian, if I truly, sincerely accept Christ as Lord and a Savior, all will automatically be well with my soul, and I have I don't need to do anything at all, and all would be well. 
you do not need to do anything at all after that in terms of securing your salvation. Do not confuse the security of your salvation that is always in the hand of God the Father and God the Son. And there is no one on this earth or in heaven that is more powerful than God the Father and God the Son that can open their hands and snatch you out of their almighty grasp. No one. And in that sense, you just rest assured you do not need to do anything about it. You can't, because every stitch of the garment of, sal of your salvation was from the Lord Jesus Christ. You did not contribute not one single stitch. And so don't have to worry about the security of your salvation. But this growth that we speak of in our first message is spiritual growth. And spiritual growth is directly related to our holy witness. And we do not automatically become holy witnesses by just sitting down and let time pass. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that just because you have a hoary head, that means your hair has grown white or gray, it doesn't mean that you are a wise man. It must be a man with a hoary head with understanding. Then you are considered as a wise man in the eyes of God. It's a man with gray hair and with understanding. That is the understanding of God's word. Because knowing God's word without the time to experience it is only theory. And so when you have time and experience, and so with gray hair, that means you have time to live out your life according to scripture. That's how you are called wise in the eyes of God. And so we forget that we need to take concrete steps to make sure that we grow spiritually in order for us to be a holy witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and verse to verse 4 reminds us. Don't forget to grow. Don't just simply wake up aimlessly and then let your 24-hour day flitter away. Organize it, plan it, take concrete steps to make sure that when you spend this day, not spend the week, spend the day. You may plan for the whole month, you may plan for the whole week, but live only according to one day at a time. Not live according to one week at a time or one month at a time, because if you do that, you are going against what the Lord Jesus Christ had instructed us in the Sermon on the Mount. Day by day, do not be concerned or worry about tomorrow. For the day itself, you have enough worry or concern. So one day at a time is how you must live. And so when you wake up, plan. Plan on how you are going to spend this day and make sure that every item that you plan must be spiritual. Don't just simply plan for the sake of planning and get everything done. At the end of it, it's completely carnal. Always plan with a spiritual perspective in mind. And so the first thing we do is to make sure that we do not forget. And so in your plan, you have to make sure that this ingredient is always present in your plan so that you will not forget to grow. And we find this ingredient found in verse 1 and verse 2 of chapter 3 of Second Peter. The cure for forgetfulness. 
the cure for forgetfulness. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. See, that's why it's called the cure for forgetfulness. It's to stir up. That means the mind has a tendency to go to sleep. Now, this mind of ours is only able to think of one thing at a time. That's the ability of the mind. There's no such thing as multitasking. Now, we may talk about it. We may think that we are doing multiple things at the same time. For example, you may be seated in front of the television watching the news or watching some documentary or whatever you're watching. And then you're having your meal. And at the same time, you are talking to your wife or your husband or your child or your friend. And so now you're doing many things at the same time. So you are eating your dinner, watching the television, and speaking. But you realize that you're only doing one thing at a time. If you are speaking, you do not know what's happening on the television. If you're watching television and then you try to speak, you probably would not know what you are saying. You're just simply answering yes or no for the sake of answering. And then when it comes to eating, stuffing food into your mouth, that's muscle memory. The mind can only think one thing at a time, and that's why when your mind is reciting, meditating on God's Word, it will have no time and no room, no place for lustful thoughts, to think evil. Do you realize that? That's how you protect your mind from wandering, from entertaining lustful thoughts. And so the Bible tells us in verse 1, according to the Apostle Peter, in his final epistle, final words of a man who knew that very soon he would be taken home to glory. He knew that his time was soon to be over in terms of his service unto the Lord. So they are very precious words. He says that, I'm writing this epistle to stir up your pure minds. The mind can go to sleep. What does it mean? It means it becomes carnal. A mind that goes to sleep means a mind that forgets its spiritual responsibility because it begins with our mind. The mind is a very important organ in every person's being. It controls my desire. The mind controls what I like and what I do not like. The mind tells me what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. The mind tells me where I'm going to go and where I'm going to not go. And so, when Sunday comes, your mind tells you that it is time for me to go to church. Way before Sunday comes, you want to go to church. And your mind tells you, I have to wake up on this day at this particular time in order to be in church on time. It begins with the mind, and so it controls your desire, and so your desire is, I want to go to church. Sure, sometimes the mind may not tell you what you desire because you may not want to go to the office, but then your boss tells your mind, you have to be in the office on this particular day at this particular time, but you don't like it, but you have to do it. So it may go counter to your desire, but you have to still do what your mind says because you do not want to be fired by your boss because you are expected to be in the office 
And so the mind is a very powerful organ. He did not say stir up your heart. He did not say stir up your words, stir up your actions, stir up your mind, because that's the source. That's the source. That's the beginning. And Peter, I'm sure he was speaking from experience based upon his life as recorded in the Gospels and based upon his life after the Pentecostal experience in the book of Acts. He was a changed man. You think Peter did not know how powerful the mind was? He used his mind to tell the Lord, I will never deny you, no matter how the other disciples will deny you, I will never. And then the Lord said to him, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And that's exactly what happened. You think his mind is not the, the source of what came out of his mouth? And his mind was the one that helped him to evaluate the circumstances that resulted in his denial because he became very frightened. He looked at what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ, how he had to stand in front of the Sanhedrin council court and then Pilate and then saw how Jesus Christ was persecuted and abused. His mind processed all that his eyes witnessed and then fear enveloped him, consumed him. And so he started to deny, deny, deny the mind. And so he understands when the mind forgets, it needs to be awakened. That's what stirring up means, awakened. Like a person is sound asleep in the bed. The person, maybe your child late for school. And so what do you do? You go up to the child and you tell the child, wake up. The child refused to move and you shake the child, shake him, stir him up to get the child to wake up. You're already late. Hurry up. You're late for school. Stir up the child. And so you, how to stir up the mind? You can shake the mind. You can put him into some kind of machine and then tumble him around like you do with your dryer in your home. If only we can do that, isn't it? Stuff the person inside some tumbling machine and then stir up his mind by shaking the whole being. But it needs to be stirred up. All of us need our mind to be stirred up because the whole world is filled with things that has this drowsiness. You know, there are certain medicine that you take where the doctor will warn you, you take this cough mixture, it will cause drowsiness. You take this particular medication, you better don't drive, you will be drowsy. If you take this, don't drive drowsiness. The devil will continue to feed us with a lot of things that will cause us to be drowsy. And he's not going to put a warning sign. If you accept this promotion from your boss, it will cause you to be drowsy and you're going to fall asleep in your spiritual witness. He's not going to do that. He is cunning. He may even tell you that you take this and you will be very, very alert. That was how he deceived Eve. He twisted the truth. God doesn't want you to eat of the forbidden fruit because God doesn't want you to be like him. You eat, you will be like him. Half-truth. That has always been his method because it's so successful in deception. 
We are surrounded by a lot of things, and sometimes these things may look very, very innocent and innocuous, like riches. Is it wrong to be comfortable to live in big houses? No. But underneath it, Jesus warns us there is deceit. It will cause you to be drowsy and you forget your spiritual responsibility to grow. And the more you long for it, the more you eat it, the drowsier you get. You know how many people have allowed this luxurious life to drown their spiritual testimony? The champion of all champions was King Solomon. Surrounded by gold, so much so that the Bible said that he even made his eating utensils out of solid gold. Imagine that your fork and spoon is made of solid gold, not gold-plated. Solid gold. That's how common, that's how rich he was. He didn't know what to do with all the gold that he amassed. After he used it to build his palace and the temple, he still has so much left because kings and queens and princes from distant land will come and listen to his wisdom and they will bring gifts upon gifts upon gifts. And so he allowed uh, the luxurious life based upon his own testimony in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, he have tasted to the very fullness of what the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes of man could ever experience on planet earth, he tasted it to his maximum. And then he said that without God, it's vanity. Now he's speaking from the perspective of a Christian. Please understand that. He was not a non-Christian. And he was a believer with God's word in his head. Don't forget that too. We need to have our minds stirred up. And that's what Peter said very, very clearly. I want to wake it up fully. Not just shake a while, you're to sleep on, okay, never mind. This what stirred up is to wake the person fully so that he will be alert to the spiritual realm that he is right now in, where he is going to evaluate every facet of his life to make sure that he has been stirred up properly and correctly. Because only Christians have a pure mind. A pure mind is a mind that has already been tested to be genuine. That is what it means. It's like someone brought into a goldsmith's shop. Can you please test for me whether this ring is really made of gold? And so he will test it for you, or the diamond, whatever it is, to test and to see whether it is genuine article. You mean the mind of an unbeliever cannot be stirred up? You can't stir up the mind of an unbeliever that is a dead mind. A mind that is dead cannot be awakened. This is a mind that has really been awakened into the spiritual realm by the Lord Jesus Christ at the point of salvation, and then it becomes very drowsy. The person has allowed the drug of the world manufactured by the God of this world that he has consumed so much that he has become drowsy. Or he may superficially continue to come to church, bodily speaking. He'll go through the motion. He will continue to come to church. He will do all the basics. But inwardly, he could very well be walking in his sleep. You know people walk in their sleep, right? My nephew walked in his sleep. My brother told me that one day when he and his wife woke up, the son was downstairs walking in the 
swimming pool area. They live in a condominium. And they were shocked. Thank God he did not walk into the pool. And when they found him, they woke him up, he did not know how he got there. And so they sent him to the hospital for a proper examination. And so the doctor diagnosed correctly, and so now it is in his official record that he actually walked in his sleep. It's dangerous. And so when it was time for him to join the national service, what do you think happened? During his basic military training, after reading his record from the hospital, he was not allowed to stay in camp. Nobody wanted to take responsibility. And there was one time when he was in Pulau Tekong. That's where they had their military training, basic military training. He was going home. And then he looked very healthy. He looked very fine. And then the person who was on duty, I think it was the officer, scolded him and told him, you have to go back to barrack. And then later on, when the commanding officer found out what that officer did, the officer got into trouble. My nephew had to go home at the end of every day, and then by the next morning, he had to take the first bus to make sure that he take the boat to get back into Pulau Tekong. And that's how he spent his two years of national service. After BMT, he was posted. I think he became a, a clerk or a storeman or something. But he was not allowed to stay in camp. Every day, he had to take a public bus home. He had to go home. He walked in his sleep. Are you walking in your spiritual sleep when you come to church? Or are you really awakened in your very soul and your very being? Coming to church, attending activities, going through the motion is not uh, Christianity. If there is no life, no fire, no passion, no burning in your soul for the Lord Jesus Christ within your soul, within your, soul, within your heart. And that's why the Bible says, stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance, helping you to remember. That means you have some information already inside that you have forgotten that only by the stirring up of your mind, your pure mind, can you, be re can you remember. And the pure mind is a mind that's already been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A mind that is known as the mind of Christ in Philippians 2. You have the mind of Christ, isn't it? If you have the mind of Christ, then why is it that most of the time your mind is thinking of things carnal? Why are you so easily worried about the things of the world when it is taken away from you? The loss of your job, you panic. The children's education, you panic. That is not a pure mind that should focus on such carnal activities where there is no faith, there is no trust in God, in Christ. A pure mind is a mind of Christ. And therefore, it's a mind that will think about what God wants you to do with your life, not what I want to do with my life and that of my loved ones and my children. It must be God and God alone. It's not God and you. God doesn't need you to contribute your own opinions and ideas God's requirement from us is to find out what is God's will for our lives and that of our loved ones. That has always been the way of God according to Scripture, and that's what Peter wanted to stir the people up in their pure minds by way of remembrance, by way of helping them to remember. 
So remember what and how to do that. Verse 2 tells us what he's going to use to do the stirring, what kind of spoon he's going to use, what kind of spiritual spoon. And the spiritual spoon that he's going to use is the Word of God, it's called. That ye may be mindful of the words, that is the preached words, not logos. Logos would be the written word. That means what you have heard, what you have been told, what you have been taught, which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Saviour. In other words, the Word of God that you have been told and taught and preached. So it's not just simply reading the Word of God, but the explanation of the Word of God whereby you understand it correctly. So when you read the Word of God, don't just simply read it and what you get without proper interpretation is just a fact. It's just a data. And there are a lot of people with very good memory, and if you are gifted by God with photographic memory, you will have a lot of hate knowledge, a lot of facts and data that you will probably pass with flying colors. Exams on paper, of course. It's more than just knowing the facts, it's knowing the meaning. Because every verse, every word of God given to us is for our learning and life. It's not for us to memorize as facts and data like you would memorize the facts and data of some geography books or some science books or some history books. Don't turn the Bible into the book of man, which is a dead book. It doesn't give life. The Bible is known as the book of life. It gives life. It transforms the life of people. That's why the word, preach word, is used to use the Word of God that we may be mindful, that we will never forget, that we will put into our memory. First and foremost, your salvation. When someone share with you the gospel, preach to you the gospel, and explain to you how you must accept Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, because you are born in sin, and if you die in your sin, you end up in hell. And Jesus Christ lived, suffered, and died for you because God sent him to do exactly that for your sake. But how do I know that he was accepted by God when he took upon his body and carried on his body all my sins and all my transgressions? And how do I know that God has accepted and forgiven me in Christ? Because God raised him from the dead for your justification so that you can stand before God righteous as if you have never sinned before. That's the beginning of your pure mind. And that you must never forget. Why do you think the Lord gave us the Lord's Supper? What are we supposed to remember when we partake of the Lord's Supper? Do this in remembrance of me. What? Forget what? Forget the day of your salvation, isn't it? Forget the day when you met with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord saved you out of the bondage of sin, the penalty of sin, the dominion of sin, and the guilt of sin. Don't ever forget that turning point in your life, how you were born again, the Bible says. It's as if God is insulting us. Do you feel insulted? Do you feel insulted when the Lord Jesus Christ says this Sacrament, do it as often as you can. Why not once a year? Why often? You mean, you think I will forget you, Lord, so regularly, so frequently that you have to tell me to keep this Lord's Supper 
as often as I can in remembrance of you? Does that hurt you? How could we ever, ever forget our Savior and our Lord who gave His whole life for me? And yet God says, yes, you will. Not only we will, but we may do it more often than we think. He will never forget us. Christ will never forget us. How could we forget Him? How could we ever forget the Son of God who suffered and endured so much shame and so much pain to have a crown of thorns forced down His head to mock Him because He said that He is the King. He is indeed the King, the King of Kings. He deserves a crown of solid gold and uh, full of jewels. But they made for him a crown of thorns because of my sin. And he allowed them to do that to him because of my sin, because of his love for me. They scourged him, they spat on him, they punched him, they laughed at him, they mocked him, and they covered his head as they punched him and they said, well, you are the prophet, guess who punched you? Then they crucified him and allowed himself to nail him to the cross and hang there naked under the hot sun. All because of my sin and my transgression. And then I said that I accepted you as my Lord and a Savior because you lived, you suffered, you died for me. We make that confession with all our heart. And after all that the Lord has done, we forget him. The Lord says, yes, you will. Not about forgetting the name Jesus Christ itself. But whenever we do not live a life of spirituality, and we continue to live a life of carnality, where we allow the things of the world to suffocate us, to drown us, and we no longer live a spiritual life, and we stop growing spiritually. That's what it means to forget the Lord. And that's why Peter says, let the preached word of God stir up your pure minds to remembrance. And the word of God is that they learn from the prophets, that's the Old Testament reference, and then what they learn from Christ and the prophets, the apostles, that's the New Testament, the whole Bible. The whole Bible. That's why it is so important that every day that you make sure that you have a proper plan, a disciplined plan to read God's word every day. When you read God's word, you hear the voice of your God and your Savior. And that's how your mind will continue to be stirred up and not fall into sleep and not allow the sleeping pills that the devil has stuffed into all the things of the world that will make us drowsy when you consume them. Because when you go onto the world, you're going to be affected by them. And if you do not have the word of God hidden in your heart, it will cause you and me to be drowsy. And many have become very drowsy. Some of them are pastors, some of them are elders, some of them are deacons. No one is immune. And when we are drowsy, not only will we just simply be carnal, we will be very, very sinful in our carnality. And that's why pastors have committed adultery. There was this pastor who was callous. He was counseling a member and he ended up committing adultery with that member that he counseled. And he was within the first couple of years of his ministry in that church. 
And we are talking about a BP church for your information, not one of these ecumenical churches. So that church may be in the ecumenical realm. It may not be ecumenical on paper, but their conduct and their behavior and their associations will already make them ecumenical. Not on paper, but in practice. And so they cover it up. And they ask him to step down and resign. And then they put in the weekly for personal reasons. And so he left together with his family. Apparently he apologized and the family, the wife forgave him. And so they apparently moved on. The problem was another church took him. What do you think happened in the other church? Again, he committed adultery in another church. Do not think that when we are in a spiritual stupor, that when we allow the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, to lull us into a spiritual stupor, that it is fine, that you will not fall into sin. You're already in sin when you are in a spiritual stupor. And more sins will be committed by you, like what this pastor did. He was callous. He was already in a spiritual stupor by not taking every precaution when you counsel someone of the opposite sex. You never put yourself in any scenario that will cause you to succumb to the lust of the flesh. You think the lust of the flesh was not already in his heart when he began his counseling and then he began to counsel her in some places that are not public, that will lead him to actually commit the act of adultery. He was really married with children at that point in time. He was really a pastor. He was a graduate of Bible colleges and seminaries. And yet, all these things meant nothing to him because he was already in a spiritual stupor. And so the Lord says, don't forget me. Peter says, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That is the spiritual spoon to do the stirring is the word of God. Do you have a program for or daily stirring of your mind where you will read the word of God and hear his voice. Don't just do it perfunctorily, going through the motion, but you truly wake up in the morning, first thing you do is to hear the voice of your master and meditate upon those portions of God's word to remind you of who you are and what the Lord has done for you to redeem you and how you belong to him and how you must live for him. And whatever you plan to do for the rest of the day, make sure that it is with the Lord's presence and his will at the foremost part of your mind. That's how you stir up your mind. That what you are going to do, whether you are a housewife at home, or whether you are in the office, or whether you are a full-time staff in the church, it does not matter what you do if it is not with reference to the glory of God and the will of God and according to scriptures. All of us can become a casualty. The devil is no respecter of your calling. No human heart 
is out of bounds to him. He will do his utmost to snare your being and destroy your holy witness if he possibly could. Don't let him succeed. The cure for forgetfulness, stir up your pure minds by way of the word of God. And I can't stir it up for you. Peter couldn't do it for you. He can only tell you to do it, but if you really want to do it, it helps. It's up to you. It's up to you. It's your mind. It's your mind. We can only provide all the avenues and the ministries. That's what we try to do in Pandan. We have fellowship groups. We have Bible study groups. We have church Bible study. We have evening services on the Lord's Day so that God's people may begin the day of the Lord in the house of God and close the day of the Lord in the house of God as well with God's people, worshipping Him and stirring the mind once more by way of remembrance through the message at the Sunset Gospel Hour. You can provide only avenues. Now it's up to you whether you're going to take advantage of it, whether you want to take it as a priority in your life, take steps to make sure that we do not allow anything to take that away from us. Because the devil will try. And the moment you allow him, he has succeeded and he has won. You have to fight for priorities. If you do not think the stirring of your, of your mind is a priority, as the most important priority, you put it number four, number five, number six in your life, and all the other are more important, like your job is more important, your study with your master's program is more important, your children are more important, then you're going to be in trouble. Your mind will fall asleep because these are all doctored by the God of this world with a sleeping potion. He can use your children to put you to sleep spiritually. He can use your job because we all have financial responsibilities to dull your senses and you will lose your spiritual responsibility and you will not grow spiritually. And the moment you don't grow spiritually, you begin to die. They're all mixed with a sleeping potion, like sleeping beauty. Put the sleeping potion inside the apple, you bite it, you eat it, you go into a deep coma. The Word of God will keep on stirring it every day. You need to be stirred up every day. Not once a week. When you come to church only on Sunday and that's the only stirring you get, you are in trouble. It has to be stirred up at least once a day. At least once a day. The more the merrier. That's why you can meditate upon the Word of God. Memorize one portion of God's Word, one verse from God's Word throughout the day. Let this be the verse of the day for you. And the next day, tomorrow, another verse of the day. And then meditate upon that verse in the morning. And then while you're doing your work, lunchtime, meditate upon it even as you eat your meal. Keep on stirring, keep on stirring to remind you that you are a spiritual servant witnessing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you refuse, please understand the ill of forgetfulness, the sickness of forgetfulness, in other words, I-L-L, ill. Verse 3 and verse 4. Knowing this first, so if you don't listen, 
you do not want to stir up your mind, knowing this verse, Peter warned, that there shall come in the last days scoffers. <laughs> last days. When did the last days begin? The last days began when Jesus Christ came at his first coming. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3. That's the beginning of the last days. And it is affirmed in Acts chapter 2, at the first preaching, the first message of Peter, when he talked about the last days in his sermon at Pentecost, quoting Joel chapter 2. In the last days, there were people who were speaking in tongues, and that was a reference to the fulfillment of Joel's two prophecies, fulfilled in Pentecost. We are in the tail end of the last days after 2,000 years. That's the beginning of the last days, 2,000 years ago, at the first coming of Christ. And now, 2,000 years later, we are in the last of the last days. And Peter wrote 2,000 years ago, the scoffers shall come, walking after their own lusts, their own desires. You see them around you? They scoff. The scoffing is against any doctrine of the Bible. In this context, Peter highlighted the second coming of Christ. They scoff. When someone scoffs at the Bible, that means they're going to take the Word of God and then they're going to mock it. The Bible is perfect. Yeah, the Bible is perfect, but I believe it has mistakes. That's scoffing, do you know that? One moment they say, yes, I believe the Bible is, is perfect, VPI. And the next moment, the Bible is, has mistakes. Isn't that scoffing? They mock, they make fun of it. They laugh at it. Or oh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. And he wants you to be he healthy and wealthy in the process. When in the world did the Bible say Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sins so that he can fatten your wallet and increase your bank account and rub away, take away your cough and your running nose? He came to take away your sin, period. Not make you a millionaire on this earth and take away your sickness. His power alone could do that. God doesn't have to send His only begotten Son to suffer so much shame and pain in order to fatten your wallet and to take away your sickness. His power alone could take away all sicknesses. Did Jesus Christ not do that? If He wants you to be a multi-millionaire, He could easily do that by using His power. Did Jesus not, Christ not use that power to tell Peter, go to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, a fish will come and there will be a coin in his mouth, it will be more than enough to pay for all our taxes. He can bring a whole host of fishes, birds, anyone, any creature, and fill their mouth full of solid gold and bring everyone, everything to you, every one of you will become a multi-millionaire just like that. He didn't have to 
send his only begotten son to go through so much and yet they mock his salvific work by reducing it to something carnal something that is of the flesh health and wealth these are evil preachers and pastors who have deceived millions of people they are reserved for destruction by fire just like God has reserved this earth for destruction by fire. For them, it will be the fire of the lake of fire forever and ever. The ill of forgetfulness is real. The scoffers are already here. When God talks about the global flood, they will say, no, it's not a global flood, it's a local flood. When Jesus walked on water, no, underneath the water there are stones that the disciples could not see. Only Jesus could see and so therefore actually was walking on the surface. They were in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. Have you been to the Sea of Galilee, how deep the Sea of Galilee is? They mock. There is no resurrection of the dead. How could Jesus Christ come and be born of the Virgin Mary? No virgin could ever give birth. They mock. Doctrine after doctrine throughout the history of the church. They attack it. They say one thing and they mean another. Oh, Jesus Christ, when he took on the form of man, his deity as God was compromised. Oh, when Jesus Christ came as the form of man fully God, he could not take on the form of man because man is inherently evil. The flesh is evil. And so therefore, if Jesus Christ became fully human, then he would be sinful too. That's Gnosticism. All forms of attack on the word of God is from a scoffer. And they are all professing believers. Most of them. These attacks are not from people of other faiths. Other faiths, they just ignore you. They don't care about you. They have their own problems enough. They don't want to bother about you Christians. These attacks are from people who call themselves Christians, who call themselves theologians, and they could even be professors in seminary with strings of theological degrees. They could be pastors and elders from churches. They are supposed to be God's people, God's servants. But in reality, they are nothing but wolves in sheep's clothing doing the work of their father who is the devil himself, just like the Pharisees. Scoffers. The ill of forgetfulness, you're going to believe, you're going to become a victim of the scoffers. That's why they leave churches that are sound and fundamental and good. And then before they leave, they're not going to blame themselves. They're going to find someone to blame, and most of the time, the one they blame would be the leaders, especially the pastor. The pastor will always be the whipping boy for them when they leave the church. Oh, I learned nothing. I learned nothing. Then why have you been here for so many decades? If you learned nothing, you should have left long ago. And when they want to leave, they do not want to blame their own spiritual stupor as the fault for their departure. 
They're going to find something that you're going to say that they will not like, even though it is according to Scripture, and they're going to make this lame excuse, another lame excuse, just to find fault so that they can leave and make themselves smell fragrant and good. And when they share with other members of the congregation, they hope to undermine their faith as well, and they too will also follow in their sad, tragic footsteps when they succumb to scoffers. I'm sure you have tasted that in BPCWA, as mentioned in the second message. It is a church within the BP circles that has suffered the most number of splits, and all of them are very, very painful because they were friends. Some of them might even be family members. They were not strangers, were they? And you suffered. Will you learn from all these past attacks and not let it happen again? The ill of forgetfulness. When you forget who you are in Christ, when you forget your spiritual well-being by not growing, your life will be a walking testimony of failure and carnality. And you will be doing the work of the devil by promoting a cold-hearted Christ, a cold-hearted Christianity, a cold-hearted faith. Because when they look at your life, oh, you mean that's what it's like to be a Christian? You mean if I believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what I'm going to become? Look at your life. Look at how you are a husband. Look at how you are a wife. Look at how you are a child. Look at how you are a parent. Nothing spiritual. Nothing Christ-centered. The ill of forgetfulness will make you into a scoffer. A scoffer. Out of so many doctrines that we scoff at, that the enemies of Christ scoff at, Peter singled out one. The second coming of Christ. The judgment of Christ. Why did he do that? Because the second coming of Christ is the most powerful doctrine that you could ever, ever imagine in the whole Bible. Because whenever you think of the second coming of Christ, it means accountability. That means you cannot afford to do whatever you want with your life. The one who created you, the one who gave you life, demands from you to give an account of how you have lived your life here on earth. How old are you now? 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old? Every minute of that time on earth, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave you life and sustained your life on this earth up to this point in time, he says, I want you to give an account of it to me. And if you are truly born again in Christ, then all the more you have to give an account. Remember the parable of the landlord who departed to a distant country and one day he said to all his servants, I will return. And then he gave them talents, ten talents, five talents, one talent. And then when he returned, he called them one by one. The ten talent, the five talent, and the one talent. Remember? That's why he highlighted the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. There shall come uh, scoffers in the last days and say, what is the promise of his coming? Oh, he has been saying that he's coming, he's coming, he's coming again, but where is he? 
Where is he? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. You look back into our planet Earth. It has been like this forever and ever. No change, no global change at all. Where is his coming? If he is supposed to come, where? The fact that when we look around us, we look back as far as we can in history, everything has remained constant. The mountain is the mountain, the sky is the sky, the sun continues to rise and the sun continues to set. The wind will come, the rain will come. It's a cycle that is on and on and on and on. The sun rises, we have day. The sun sets, we have night. The moon will come, the stars will appear. This kind of earthly constancy that we live in has lulled the whole world into a state of stupor. Has it also lulled you into a state of spiritual stupor, dearly beloved? If it happened in the world, we can understand because they are in spiritual deadness and darkness. Their eyes can't see beyond the three dimension. Their minds are dead in sin. But if you have a pure mind, and only believers have pure minds, and if you say that you are a Christian, and if you are truly born again in Christ, then you have no excuse. You have no excuse to succumb to scoffers. You have no excuse to allow yourself to be put into drowsiness. And now look at your life, look at your testimony. Is it one of sickness? One that is diseased? Because the ill, the sickness of forgive, forgetfulness is all around us. Because of the falsehood that is being preached. Because Christianity has already fallen into apostasy. Don't add to it. If you are truly born again, then make sure that your light shines brightly. Christianity has fallen into apostasy means Christianity has been overwhelmed and overrun and overtaken by people who are goats, by people who are tares, by people who pretend to be Christian, but they are not Christians. But if you are truly a believer, why do you want to join them and bear a carnal witness why do you allow a spiritual stupor to characterize your life and that characteristic is pretty pretty visible look at how you relate to your spouse husband and wife is it according to scripture if it is not that is spiritual stupor how are you bringing up your little children are they being brought up daily in the fear and admonition of the Lord? If it is not, then it is a spiritual stupor. How are you, children, relating to your parents if they are not believers? Are you bearing a holy witness at home? Then if you are not, it's a spiritual stupor. If your parents are believers, are you encouraging them in the things of the Lord, helping them to rejoice that this is indeed a godly home? If it is not, then it is a spiritual stupor. Are you serving fervently in church, bearing a holy witness in church? If it is not, it is a spiritual stupor. 
Do you delight to come to church for worship, where worship is the highlight of every day of your week, to be gathered together with God's people, a foretaste of what you will be doing in heaven forever and ever, where you'll be gathered in a new heaven and new earth in the presence of God Almighty. And if you do not enjoy worship service every Lord's Day and you drag your feet to church, that's a spiritual stupor. These are all the outward symptoms that are very visible. We can't read your heart. But we can read your life. We can see your witness. We can see your body, even though we can't see your mind and your heart. The ill of spiritual stupor of forgetfulness is real. Awaken yourself. Don't forget to grow. By way of remembrance, let the spoon, the spiritual spoon, which is the Word of God, stir up fully your pure minds. Fully means every area of your life by way of remembrance. Keep on studying God's Word. Keep on meditating upon God's Word and do it with a heart of obedience. That's the only way. That's the only way to overcome forgetfulness in our growth. Our spiritual growth is our spiritual responsibility. God will raise Lazarus from the dead, but God also asked the people there to roll away the stone so that he could come out and let them see. God has given to each and every one of us this responsibility to our own spiritual well-being. I can't live for my wife. I can't live for my children. I can provide for them an environment that can help them. But I can't live for them. The church can provide you with a spiritual environment for you to grow spiritually. But they can't grow spiritually on your behalf. You have to want to. You have to take concrete steps to do it. Or else, you will die. Don't forget to grow spiritually. That was the Apostle Peter's primary concern as he gave them his final words before the Lord called him home. Out of all the many, many issues of a believer's life, this was Peter's primary concern. And of course, this is by way of inspiration. This is also God's primary concern for you and for me in these last days. Don't forget to grow, dearly beloved. To stop growing is to die. Let us pray.